Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, MC, your host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who I can hear singing in the wire. I can hear him through the wine. He's your Wichita lineman who's still on the line. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Ah, hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest. Her recent cover of Wichita Lineman that I just quoted has been in constant rotation on my playlist for the last month and a half. Her last record, Oleander, was also in heavy rotation for me after I discovered her on some Big Star third tribute videos. And she believes in Gibson guitars and fast cars, so please welcome to the podcast, Skylar Gudaz. Hello. Thank you for having me. So did I... Did I pronounce your name correctly? It's perfect. It was perfect. Fantastic. Because, Wayne, I've been known to slaughter a few names, haven't I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you're top-notch at that. <laughs> All right. And you, and I great. And I love the references because I was going to find a way to weave that in. Those are, my, those are two of the best lines I've heard in a long time. Uh, don't ask me if I believe in God. I believe in Gibson guitar. I'm a Fender <laughs> guy, and I still thought that was – that's a great line. And he – like if your belief system is Gibson guitars and fast cars, that's right up there with good tuned guitars and firm feeling women. Well, I feel it's it's terrible because I've recently been playing a telly, which I absolutely love. But every time I play that song and I'm <laughs> I'm not playing a Gibson, I feel a little bad. But <laughs> I I don't feel that bad. Don't feel that no, bad. No, exactly. So I ask the all important question at the beginning of each podcast episode. So Skylar. What t-shirt are you wearing? I'm actually, this is kind of a two-part answer, but I'm wearing a um, Keith Richards t-shirt that I got from a clothing swap recently. Uh, I don't know who it used to belong to. There are a bunch of musicians at this clothing swap, so could be anybody, but it's Keith. And then uh, it's actually a little bit cold in North Carolina today, so I'm wearing a sweatshirt that used to belong to my dad that has a picture of Mozart on it, who's my dad's favorite composer. And it says Mozart's European tour on it, 1762 to 1771. And then in the back, it has a bunch of like dates listed in Austria. So it's like falling apart, but it's like my favorite, favorite uh, music shirt to wear. Love it. Love it. That's super cool. All right, Wayne, how about you? What t-shirt are you wearing? Well, I just uh, recently got a bunch of uh, three uh, Dropkick Murphy t-shirts, so I'm, I'm wearing one of those. Nice. You know, I almost wore my Dropkick Murphys t-shirt just to, like, rub it in your face. I don't know. I think I, I'm going to send you one of these. I, I went over my allotted t-shirt budget for the month already, and it's only the eighth. Yeah, and I, and I still have two t-shirts to send your way uh, from... from well, one of them is from my recent trip up to Detroit. Well, uh, I'll I'll let you I'll let you introduce that shirt once uh, once you wear that. So awesome! And I'm wearing um, I'm wearing a shirt that I've worn a couple times before. Uh, I'm wearing my Elvis Costello shirt that I got from my co-host Wayne from uh, what oh, like a year nice. ago, right? Yeah, just yeah, December year ago. Yeah, I need a new T-shirt. And I've got money in hand uh, because I'm going to go see I'm going to go see G Love tonight, Wayne. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to be buying a T-shirt. Got to got to show G a little love for coming on the podcast. So absolutely. 
All right. Well, let's let's get all the fan stuff out of the way, Skylar. So I've uh, I've seen and heard a ton of covers of Thirteen by Big Star over the years, and the um, the the one video of you singing it might be my favorite cover of Thirteen ever. Oh, that's incredibly generous. It's it is a song that's a gift to anybody that sings it because it's just so perfect and universal in this way. So I appreciate you saying that. And I, I am honored to sing it every time. Is that your favorite big star song? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't, I don't think it is. Yeah. (laughs) Even though I love that song in, in this way, that song, I feel like the relationship I have with that song is kind of outside of being able to be like, this is my favorite Big Star song, because it's just sort of, I feel like it it's its own, we have our own, <laughs> our own special relationship in right. this way, uh, but because of how it came into my life. But um, I think, I don't know, I don't know if it's my favorite Big Star song. All right. Maybe it's my favorite Alex Chilton song. There you go. Okay. My favorite Chris Bell song is uh, I Am the Cosmos. You know, and that seems to be all, whenever I talk to a musician, that seems to be their go-to big star song. (laughs) It's a great one. Oh, it's good. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it would even make my top 10 though. Maybe, maybe maybe because I'm an Alex guy. Maybe I'm an Alex guy and not a Chris guy. I don't know. Are you more into like the like, rocking ones or like the in the street or like no because i i would i would probably say that watch the sunrise is probably my favorite big star oh very interesting so beautiful yeah love that um or ballad of el gudo Um, yeah i don't know like i like uh, the harmony stuff yes yes yeah i'm all about the harmonies i mean it's beautiful wayne you got to go too I am a rocking guy. I like like in the streets and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's what's so amazing about Big Star is they encompass all of them. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you just, we'll, we'll talk about your cover of Wichita Lineman here in a moment, but why have you not properly recorded a cover of 13? <laughs> well, there's a live version. There, The live version of it that we do yeah. in the tribute shows that we've taken all over the world that exists in the recorded version. But, ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, it's funny. Cause I know that I just released this cover version of Wichita lineman, but I actually, I feel like in order for me to want to record a cover, I have to really know why I want to record it. If that makes any sense. Like yeah. I, I feel like, playing a a cover live and then setting out to make a recorded version of it, or like it's sort of, they serve two different purposes in this way. And so I don't know. I feel like the live version of 13 is so much a part of the story of the song of it for me. And that, um, I mean, I'm, I would honestly be more interested in, in hearing, other other recorded versions of it <laughs> because I love it. I don't know if that makes any any sense at all. But I don't know. It's probably just contrarianness. Maybe I will someday. There you go. 
So why did you choose Wichita Lineman? You just said that there's there's stories behind the covers that you do. So hmm. what what's the story there? The story of that is that um, I got this phone call in the middle of the night from actually from my my brother who's a filmmaker in LA. Um, and he was at this party and he was like, you have to go. Um, he was like, remember the song, which a lineman, like it just came on at this party and like everybody at the party stopped what they were doing. And we all just started listening to this song and we were all, everyone was like crying <laughs> and talking about why it was such a beautiful song. And he was like, you have to record this song. I can totally hear you singing this song. Mm. And then I went, to go listen to it. And honestly, I had just, I had just finished making a record that took a, a kind of a long time to make. And I was kind of in this place where I just wanted to do something not really for any reason that just sort of made me happy. And I listened to it and I was just like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do it with the strings. I want to do it as live as possible. And it just, it felt really right. And it sort of magically, magically lined up. It's such a good cover. Oh, thank you. You knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I agree. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you both. Yeah, there was a, and it's funny, it all started to come together. I was, I read the, I was reading the Gillian Welch Wikipedia page and one of the, they, they had an excerpt from a New Yorker review where they called her innovative yet obliquely reminiscent. And mm. when it's very literary, but it's, it's, it's perfect. And once I, you know, started mm. listening to uh, Time, The Revelator, and then started listening to, and listened to this version of Wichita Lyman, it's exactly that it it sounds it's this older song and it has a lot of that feel but there's something contemporary and fresh about mm, it. Thank nice you. I wonder if that's yeah. the Jed Purdy yeah. review. He's a friend of mine. I know he he wrote something about Gillian for the the New Yorker that I thought did a really wonderful job of describing that. But yeah, the that the reminiscent and Je- yeah, that Glenn Campbell and Gillian I feel like both in this way are um, that makes me think of, I was telling a good friend of mine that I was about to record it. His name is Dan Tram. And he was saying, he was like, Oh, that makes sense. It's a folk song. And, um, I was interested to think about Wichita lineman as a folk song. And I think that Gillian Welch sort of trucks in that same vein of what is folk music and it, as a medium, less, less as a genre, but more kind of as its own, um, medium in this way. And I feel like, uh, they, Wichita Lyman and Gillian Welch's music are, are kind of getting at that same, that same thing, like you suggest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let, let me get some of the bio stuff out of the way for you. So your bio said that you worked with his golden messenger. Yeah. Are you on his most recent record? I am on um, Hallelujah Anyhow, which is the one before this most okay. recent one. 
which I also love this most recent one. But yeah, we did, I toured with them um, in that band in 2017, 2018. Okay. And why, why did you not for, for this last one? The last record is really good too. But. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I love both of the. I love all of the, um, I'm a huge Hiss fan. So it was really wonderful to be in that. They're from um, North Carolina and a lot of, a lot of amazing musicians from this area play in that, uh, in that band from time to time. But Mike sort of, uh, it always seems to me like he's working with different, different people. So I think, I think it's kind of a, loose collective of players that sort of come and go is how it's always, how it's always seemed to me. But by, um, I've definitely been very focused on this record I have that's about to come out. So that's been, what's been taking up most of my time recently. I was just going to say, so you got something in the works. Is that (laughs) why you weren't working on other people's records? You're working on one of your own. I, yes, I have a, a record coming out on uh in april on this small label uh called sua sounds and it's a yeah brand new record that i started working on in 2018 and it's going to be out very soon awesome all right so i'm assuming you're doing what most other musicians are doing these days of you know putting out a single or two before the full record comes out is that is that your format as well. That's definitely true. There's going to be some singles uh, dropping in February, and then leading up until the till the album release. Cool. Well, we will definitely uh, be telling everybody about those singles and the album as they come out on on our socials as well. Awesome. So we'll we'll definitely be sharing that. Yay! I I do want to go back to one of your previous songs. Uh, yes, please. Uh, I want to be with you in the darkness. That song kills me. Oh, in a good in a good way. <laughs> There's got to be a story behind that song. So tell me, mm. tell me what the story is, because I feel like there, you could you could take that particular song in two different ways, and I'm and I'm curious if if that's how you kind of wrote it. Was there's the darkness element, but there's also like the you know the seductive part of "I Want You in the Darkness." What did you kind of write it with? a double meaning on that Mm. or am I just translating it way differently than you intended? (laughs) Well, no, I, um, I mean, I'm always happy to talk about, uh, how I wrote songs and, and what they mean to me, but I feel like 
something that's really important is to honor what a listener hears in a song, because I do think that songs are in this way, even though they're incredibly personal um, things and they could be very particular and personal to my life and all my songs are, but um, that there's this other element that, um, and I'm interested to talk to you all a little little bit about this in the Gillian record as well, but, um, but I feel like what, you know, what you hear in a song is, I mean, songs are mirrors in this way uh, for the people who are listening to them, where they sort of meet you where you are at that moment. And what you hear in it is what you're going to hear in it at that time. And um, I think the mark of a good song, what I try to do in my songwriting is to, um, is to leave enough room for, uh, for people to get the most possible meaning out of it that they could for the most part. And um, I definitely did try to write uh, as much, uh, you know, double meaning as possible into most of my songs actually, but, um, but they have to have a um, specificity to them. I, I do believe so I don't know if that's answering your question. Um, but that's, yeah, that song's very near and dear to my heart. And I wrote it towards the end of the, uh, last record of Oleander. It was one of the last songs that I wrote for it. And, um, so it was kind of at the end of the period of time that that songwriting was happening in that collection was happening for me. And so, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you like it. Love it. I don't know if there's double meaning in the I'm so happy I could die. <laughs> so that was that was my favorite. <laughs> where's the where's the double meaning for that song? I would say there's I don't think there's a double meaning, but I think one of the things I love about the song is it kind of goes back and forth between happy that this hipster, you know, nerd is gone and maybe not so happy that this hipster nerd is gone. There's, you know, take your take your tattoos and your, and your black coffee and your whiskey neat. But there's like, say there's, there's a great ambiguity to it. Is she really happy? He's gone. Is she not? There's some kind of biting lyrics, but yet there's a little bit of uh, maybe missing the bearded Mm. loser. Undoubtedly. (laughs) Undoubtedly. I'm sure that was written for a specific someone. Wasn't there? I feel like I have to, I mean, I'm not. We not want names, Skylar. We want names. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> happy since you left me. I could die because I'm so happy. Just kill me now. I'm so rich. I don't need your money.
The, yeah, I think the feeling behind I'm so happy I could die, especially was just that, you know, when you just want to be, you just are like so dead set on being like, yeah, yeah, I am fine. Everything is fine. I'm doing great. Uh, everything is wonderful. And sh- like, look at how great I'm doing. You know, I'm really rich. I am. I get laid all the time. I've got, I'm like, everything is great. And then it's like, you know, clearly the re- the fact that the narrator is having to state that is, you know, right. sort of a proof in and of itself that it's not completely a hundred percent true. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song. Great song. I'm really looking forward to the new record. So um, yeah, we'll uh, be patiently waiting. Yeah. For I'm that. very excited. One last question before we transition to the record that you chose. So um, we ask all of our guests this. So, Toto's Africa, good or bad song? <laughs> oh, man. I just, I I don't think it's good or bad. I think it just sort of exists in its own way. I don't think it can be good or bad anymore. I think it's, it's just, uh, it's something like the sky is, we see the sky is blue. You know, is that good or bad? I think Skylar is trying to pull a, a Ann Rand, Matthew Ryan response on she's, us, isn't she? She's she's trying to be polite. She's trying and to be polite. I mean, it's okay not to like it. Like I said, I, I think it should be worded different. It, do you like Toto's Africa or not? Because good or bad song, that's, you know what, that's difficult to say. Uh but you don't, yeah. you clearly don't like it. <laughs> I can't say that I like it, but I also, I, I just, you know, it's not anything that I'm ever going to like consciously like put on, Seek out. That's but also, it's. yeah, I'm not going to seek it out, but that's kind of because it's everywhere. So, you know, it's sort of a, yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Hard well, to what, what records do you seek out? <laughs> Gillian, Gillian Welch, Time the Revelator. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. Perfect segue. All right. <laughs> so, so we went back and forth on a, on a couple of things because you originally chose a, a different record. And I was like, I don't know if this works well with our scoring. What was, what was, your, what was your first choice? Uh, my first choice was Al's Coltrane Journey in Sachidananda, which I actually don't know if I'm saying that the correct way. I, once you said that, um, I started thinking about your songs and I'm like, does she have a jazz element to her? And so it was, it, for me, it was a really interesting choice that, that you chose that. And, um, I, I came back to you and this was the first time ever in our podcast where I was like, um, <sighs> we probably need to change that just from, just from the standpoint of we, we're always looking at lyrics as well as the production and, you know, the feel of the songs and all that stuff and, mm. and doing a, a jazz record where there, there are no lyrics um, would, would have been, um, would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
And then your second choice was Joni Mitchell's Blue, which we've, <laughs> we've we've already done. We did we did a couple couple months ago with Liz Longley and a great record. Yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. well, it's that record turned Wayne into a Joni Mitchell fan. Oh, oh my goodness! Okay. It took that one. What did you been listening to before? Uh, all I had heard was like Big Yellow Taxi and. <laughs> oh yeah, that's probably my least favorite Joni uh, Mitchell song. Free Man in Paris. Oh, that's a great song. I'd never, I, I'd, <laughs> I, yeah, I had no problem. I thought Joni Mitchell was overrated and it, uh, and I'd never listened to Blue. And then when I did, I, I turned at 180, I believe she's, uh, she's not highly rated enough. Oh, I uh, love that it. Album is brilliant. Wow. And I absolutely am a huge fan. That's fantastic. That's awesome. But, it, but it took, it took doing this podcast in order to, to turn him into the fan <laughs> he is. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, this podcast, like this record by uh, Gillian Welch, this this reminds me of when uh, we were introduced to John Prine's Tree of Forgiveness. I probably would have never came across it. And yet I, I'm super appreciative to have listened to this. It was uh, was truly yeah. a, a remarkable. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. All right. Well, let's let's get some of the bio info for the record out of the way and then we'll 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 do our or dive into each of the songs. So uh, time in parentheses, the revelator is that's the third studio album by, by Gillian that was released in July of 2001. So maybe with you being, being a fan Skylar, maybe you can help us a little bit with her collaborative efforts with David Rawlings. So he's, he's all over this record. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't know who David Rawlings was until I started doing this deep dive. Uh, is that oh, my wow. bad? Uh, should I have known David Rawlings? Because um, I went out and sought some of his his own solo work, and he's amazing. He's a fantastic musician. They're both, yeah. Well, they're. Um, it's not surprising to me that you wouldn't necessarily have come across him because their careers are essentially as I understand it, intertwined. Okay. He is on all of her uh, music that's under her name, and she's on all of his music under his okay. name. And they're very much collaborators in that way. Um, although I believe that for her records, and this one too, that she has all the songwriting credit per se, um, I think that she's, yeah, but I mean an incredible guitarist. And I know he plays on other people's records mm-hmm. too. Um, but they are very much, uh, yeah, musical partners for sure. Now, are they just musical partners or are they romantic partners as well? Uh, you know, I have read a lot of different things and heard a lot of different rumors and okay. I, I don't think I can confirm one way or the other. Cause I don't, I don't exactly know. All right. Well, um, we'll we'll keep this we'll keep this professional from a musicianship <laughs> standpoint. But well, I do <laughs> I do know that they met uh, at Berkeley, I believe, um, where they were both in school. I think that's correct. Okay. And Gillian Welch was actually a drummer in a punk band for a long time. I think that they, but then they somehow met at I believe in some music. Uh, old time music class, maybe something like that. Okay. Some, and, um, and then have been musical partners ever since. Yeah. Okay. 
what else on this record? Oh, the album was nominated for Best Contemporary Folk Album at the 2002 Grammy Awards. Oh, interesting. Lost out to Bob Dylan's Love and Theft. Hmm, interesting. And I don't know that record at all. So You know, I don't either. Yeah. I really don't. I get the feeling that the voters probably just voted for Bob Dylan because they saw his name <laughs> on the ballot. So that would be my guess. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, tell me with with you picking this record. Tell me why this this record speaks to you. Why why why? I know this was your third choice, but you know we're we're just going <laughs> to say it's your first choice, really. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, I, this is. I think this is arguably one of the most important records of my lifetime, not just for me, but for music, uh, definitely for music in the United States. And I think that this record, first of all, in order for me to love a record, I have to connect with it emotionally and viscerally. And I absolutely do with this record. It's just beautiful. And it's amazing that it's just um, harmony and acoustic instrumentation um, guitar and banjo. And that's essentially it. Um, and the songs and the lyrics confront all these amazing things. They confront folk music there. It's like one big grand artist statement of a record. It, the record flows, all the songs seem to flow in and out of each other like the whole record is referencing itself the entire time in this really beautiful way, in this very um, masterpiece sort of way in my mind. And it's sort of kind of actually similar to the Alice Goldtrain record, but uh, in, into a lot of jazz records where there's like this, these themes, these musical themes, but then also these, um, these lyrical themes and these, that are being played on and referenced and cross-referenced across songs further explore. It's like one tiny thing will happen in one song and then they'll be exploring it in another song later in the record that just sort of like lends itself to this giant, what just feels like a large painting in this way that happens to be a record. And they, they just talk about, they talk about America. They talk about, all these huge American myths and symbols. They talk about choosing to be a musician, They, which is a lot of why I love this record. There's a lot of, um, again, that phrase artist statement about what it is that, why it is that they're doing what they're doing, despite the fact that they're, it's about labor in this way, about um, lack of not getting paid to, to make art essentially. And it confronts it through this medium of folk music. Uh, it confronts digital, it, like digital music yeah. through folk music, which is like a wild thing. And um, I just think it's so brilliant in all of these ways and yet so accessible. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna touch on many of those things you just said. As sorry, we go. yeah, I can talk no, about it. No, 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 it's I great. It. I love it. No, it's great. Yeah, we'll 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 touch on each of those as we go through the records. Um, so, would we call this? Is this 
you you talked about the themes. Would we call this a concept record or is it just mm. a record that has a lot of the same common themes and feel to it? I don't know. What do you think? Almost. I mean, I did that. That thought crossed my mind. I don't know. I don't know in hard, you know, language that it was a a concept record, but it definitely has kind of a structure to it um, that you, uh, by the time you, you know, you get to the end, you, you can, you can feel this, this concept, this, at least this loose concept. Yeah. yeah. Agree. All right. Well, let's jump into the songs. So as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this one? 10. Which means our top song is going to get 10 points. Next favorite, nine points on down to lowest score of one. Let's start it off. Here's Revelator. Like I said, this is lead track. I know we've been critical before on other episodes, Wayne, about the length of certain songs. This clocks in at six minutes and 23 seconds. Oh, does it? Oh my God, that's crazy. It, I, no, I, th- this is, this is, I feel this the is same what way. I was just going to say. It doesn't feel like a six and a half Not minute song. I wouldn't no, have if I listened all. to this song at least uh dozen times in the last week or so and i would if you'd asked me how long it was i, I might have i'd have said four four and a half minutes maybe less yeah it doesn't it this is a yeah. what's interesting is when it starts there's this real hard twang before mm-hmm. she starts singing and it's and it it kind of hit me right away and i was like that it made, uncomfortable was the word that came to mind but as soon as she starts singing it's still there but now it's meshed in with her vocals and it sounds like pleasant and appropriate. And like I say, that this is one of these examples of innovative and obliquely reminiscent. It has this, these great modern, I mean, she uses all these archaic kind of terms. There's like a spindle and a fortune, what fortune lady and mule to ride. But yet at the same time, it has this contemporary freshness. And this, this is 19 years ago. And yet I listened to it this week and it has this this fr- this contemporary freshness about it. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about those lyrics because I don't fully understand those. Um, they caught the Katie and left me a mule to ride. The fortune lady came along. She walked beside. Anybody want to dissect the lyrics for me or should I just go, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I think she's trying to paint a picture of, of, you know, and using like some folk terms that would seem, you know, relevant in a, in a song that was written, you know, in the early days of folk. But I, what I love about it is the theme is, will, am, am I a traitor? We'll find out. Time will reveal all. It's all, it, yeah. we're just going to see what happens. The truth yeah. will be known. But I love the way they double up her, her uh, vocals in the, what I guess will be considered the chorus um, because it, it, it's, it's able to emphasize it without her, her changing her delivery any. Uh, and it just gave, it had a really cool effect. Mm. Yeah. I think that Katie was a, uh, I can't remember, but it might've been a train or something, but yeah, I think to Wayne's point that, uh, so much of what I feel like she can get away with lyrically 
because it's this sort of quote unquote folk music, it can just sort of, there are these like references in this way where you don't exactly have to know what she's talking about to, to know what she's talking about. Yeah. I was just thinking, looking at Wayne's score, I just thought that maybe he scored it higher because she drops an F-bomb in it, and he likes women <laughs> where. Where? Oh, sorry. Where are your uh, – I didn't have your uh, – did you – is that in the link, what your scores are of the songs? Are you, only I know. Only you only, know. Only I am the revelator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so with that in mind, let's get some scores. So Skylar. I I ranked this number nine because I I just love the way that sort of um call that happens that you talked about, Wayne, at the beginning, the really discordant three hits, like the bum bum bum, is like what a way to start a record. And it really it tells you right away what you're gonna be reckoning with over the next 10 songs. Um, and I don't know why, but I think uh, this song cements the way the rest of the record, it sort of sets up the rest of the record for me in this way that I always return to it. Yeah. Wayne, your score. I give it a nine. I, it's got, I was my, obviously it's my first introduction. It's the first time I ever heard her. It's a name. I mean, Gillian Welch is a name I heard, I'd heard over the years and never had listened to anything. So, and then the theme of this, you know, I just love that. You know what? We'll find out. This is the time will reveal all. And she did use the F word. And I think that did have an effect <laughs> on this. But there's a great, really great, he does a really great guitar solo, like in the, oh. you know, in the middle that really, I thought was really impressive. Like, and it's just, and this is my first impression. So it just really got me mm. excited to hear the rest of the record. Yeah, I I would assume that's Dave Rawlings playing the guitar. Yeah, he's doing the solo there. And I often think about his guitar as sort of this other voice. It's like her voice and his guitar are in conversation with each other. Yeah. And um, I'm matching both of your guys' nines. So that doesn't doesn't happen often on this, this podcast. Plus, I try not to... I try not to have my scores the same as Wayne. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, that leads. Next song is My First Lover. Banjo's great in this, right? That is a banjo, right? Yes. It's so creepy, don't you think? It sounds like yes. otherworldly. I feel like when I hear it, I'm going to be like swallowed by a dust storm. So I, I'm torn on the lyrics. So I'm, I'm hoping you guys can can chime in here. So is this, is there maybe some kind of sexual abuse that occurred here or was this just a night of bad judgment? Because mm. I can't, 
I can't completely tell by the lyrics. She's so laissez-faire, but I didn't I didn't get any kind of abuse. I thought it just okay. felt like a because even she says there's no fights, there's no mm. no just I never expected to marry him. It was just a it was just the first time. Uh, and it it uh I yeah, I didn't get I didn't get any and I but it did make okay. me listen to Quicksilver Girl by Steve Miller Band. Uh-huh. Which, me too. Uh, this is way better than that. I I thought that was an odd choice. <laughs> for a song because it's this really weird you know psychedelia which isn't i mean apropos for you know that san francisco you know that that late 60s but it was weird i thought like why not use living in the usa or rocking your baby or something <laughs> well it's a it's off of the same album it came off of sailor which was yeah. steve steve's steve's record from 1967 it's the song right after living in the usa um but yeah i agree with you on that I was just going to say, I don't think that if you put abracadabra into your lyrics for this, it would it would have the same effect as Quicksilver Girl. So, yeah. And I can't remember yeah. exactly what Quicksilver... Uh, to me, I, when I listen to that song, the part of it that always comes back to me is that the refrain of Quicksilver Girl and she's free. So I feel like that's what it's that's what it's about. There's something about her escaping is the, is kind of at the refrain of what it is. And just seems like, um, that she's, it kind of feels like she's confronting these, like this music of her past in this way, this Steve Miller song or whatever. Um, and yeah, it just seems like she's considering her past, but that she ultimately, breaks breaks free of it yeah i went i went to song meetings which i i know i shouldn't do (laughs) oh what did they say over there oh uh, so so here's one of the comment uh uh, commenters um he says i'm pretty sure this is a straightforward account of gillian's first lover (laughs) apparently a manipulative surfer jerk she met as a student at uc santa cruz um and that was it so i'm like do i agree with that assessment because it still didn't answer whether or not it was a bad judgment or if there was sexual abuse and wouldn't you know the username is lucky town (laughs) so lucky town is of course going to it completely ignore any possibility of sexual abuse so i'm still not i'm still not sure yeah i'm still not sure but i suppose it's like it's possible, right? Like it, it just in reading it. And, um, I, it's funny. I never thought of it that way, but, uh, yeah, he's definitely the line about, he was always talking, trying to bring me down. Definitely seems like it's something that she needed to escape and wanted to get away from. Yeah. Yeah. But if she's trying to escape from it, wouldn't jet airliner, wouldn't that have been a better song to quote? <laughs> Fly like well, an eagle. No, because yeah. Fly like an eagle, yeah. Well, I, again, I think it's the empowerment of the Quicksilver girl. You know, she's yeah. the, she's the one that gets to be free. Right. I like it. All right. Let's get and to be scores. fair to, in, in, to be fair, all most first experiences are bad judgment anyway. Yeah. On everybody's part. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, all right. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, you go to your therapist for the rest of that. All right. Uh, Skylar, your score. I think that this was the, uh, what did I have it as? I think as seven. 
They, I really yes. love how it ends and then it comes back in at the end with the banjo. You think it's over, but then it's not. Yeah. Right. Wayne, your score? Um, five. I will say that this is I, there is not a single song on here that I, do, that I would say I don't like. Um, this one, it's really bluesy. For a banjo, That's I guess that struck me musically mm-hmm. is that they're creating this a completely different sound than you would expect this had a bluesy almost kind of a heavy feel to it mm-hmm. yeah and i'm giving it a four and since you said there is no song on here that you don't like um that leads me to dear someone which would have been the song that i would have skipped so here we go dear someone kind of a boring song to me to, to be honest um so i'm gonna let you guys um can, gonna let you try and talk me into uh, if this is a song that i shouldn't skip on the on the record well i would have to say that i would give in your ranking system i would literally rank every single one of these songs a 10 and then i would rank this one a nine <laughs> okay so i would say that this is in a song, in a in a masterpiece of a record, it's the one that I am least drawn towards. However, I think if you put this song on someone else's record, it would probably be that person's record's best song. <laughs> that being said, like it's 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 still really beautiful. I know a lot of people who like this is their favorite song, which is always interesting to me because I'm like, huh, we have different you know, different opinions, but that is interesting. Yeah. It's, it's my, yeah, I gave this song one because it's my least favorite, but I still love it. I would still listen to it any day over a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. Over Toto's Africa. Yeah. Undoubtedly. (laughs) I, I agree. This was, then I wrote on this, this, this lacks the, the, that, that freshness and, it's all reminiscent. It ha- it reminded me of something. I mean, it reminded me of uh, Over the Rainbow or When I Wish Upon a Star, mm-hmm. something yeah. from a Disney movie. It's a it's a nice song. I don't have anything bad to say about it, other than it didn't have it didn't have that that like contemporary quality that the rest of the songs had. And, and it just yeah. reminded. It felt like I I knew it re- reminded me of you know Rosemary Clooney or. Judy yeah. Garland, I couldn't, it, yes. I, and I never could really say who it reminded me of, and it just didn't stand out like the other tracks. Yes. Okay. So Wayne, your I score. gave it a two. I gave it a two. All right. So collectively, this is our least favorite song. Just so you know, when I'm looking at scores, leads us to Red Clay Halo. Red clay road with a red clay 
really dig the song. It took me a few times around to really grasp the lyrics, and now I love it. And before I go on a really long analysis of the lyrics, anybody else want to take a stab at uh, what this song is about? Well, I, I hate to, I even hate to admit this, but what happened is I got somehow I got trapped in it as a euphemism for a menstrual cycle, like Red Riding Hood, and I couldn't get out of it. I literally could not get out of it. The Crimson Tide. Fields are muddy. I just, I couldn't get out of it. And I just got trapped. Oh my goodness. Um, so we're going to put Wayne's assessment aside. <laughs> Skylar, do you want to, do you, anything you want to say about the lyrics? Well, to me, it's uh, Appalachia, the red clay mountains, the red clay of area of the United States where this type of music is coming yeah. from. And, you know, along with the Pearly Gate, the references to Jordan, the it's all about Appalachia and Christianity. And it's, you know, um, quoting all of these religious themes in that way. Um, and probably even my, my Bible's not too good, but I'm sure that there's uh, very specific references that they're using. Um, but to me, the thing that's striking about it and that, you know, has continued to be explored throughout the record is the idea of these people who are poor and don't have much money interacting with music and how they look and how they're perceived and how they're able to walk through the world. And then, um, you know, then you have that juxtaposed with heaven and the idea of gold and the idea of what's truly uh what's truly is saving force in in the world and it feels to me like that's what she's talking about yeah i feel like at first she's a little embarrassed by the red clay how it stains her feet it shows on her sunday clothes it's under her nails kind of like she you know she can't escape who she is or where she comes from but um what's the the lyrics where um now jordan's banks they're red red and muddy and the rolling water is is wide but i i got no boat so i'll be good and muddy when i go get to the other side Mm. and i feel like that those lyrics are where i think she finally just sees either acceptance or she just kind of realizes that look everybody else is going to pass through these waters and they're everybody's going to be red and muddy. Everybody's got some kind of clay or some crap that they're carrying with them, you know, whether it's sins or imperfections or however you want to interpret that, that are, that are more visible than others. So, mm-hmm. so she's basically just saying, give me the red, the red clay halo. I'll embrace it. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, I, I dig it. This is this is one of my one of my more favorite songs on the record. Um, I'm giving it an eight, Wayne. This is my least favorite, but it was my own undoing. The boys won't dance with her. I mean, it's <laughs> I, I it's got funny. trapped. I always thought that she was putting herself. I mean, not to be incredibly binary about it, but that she is saying that she, that she's singing from the point of view of a boy in this. Because she's saying all the girls all dance with the boys from the city, but they don't care to dance with me. And her, me being that she's that the narrator is a boy from the country. That's what I always oh. assumed. 
I like that take too. That's cool. Um, all right, Skylar, I didn't get your score. Uh, I I think I put this at a three, but only because I had to rank it. I love this song. I know. <laughs> wouldn't It wouldn't be an episode without our guest I telling understand. us our scoring sucks. We get it. All right. <laughs> All right, uh, next song is April 14th, part one. since I have the benefit of seeing everybody scores, um, you go first. Oh, well, I, and I really, this song is, is deep and I can't even get like wrap my mind completely around it. Um, all of the talk about April 14th. And so I was, I mean, you obviously the two big references, the Titanic, and then the reference at the end for the assassination of Lincoln, those actually, the, the Titanic sank on the 15th and Lincoln died on the 15th. So the ruin, you know, so this, the 14th is, it's like the day you, you knew it was all lost. Like it's the big, the big deed didn't happen on that day, but at that point it was clear what was going to happen. Um, but also there's references. Um, there's a reference towards the five band bill and the $2 show. And it, yeah. so I was trying to, I was trying to find things that happened on April 14th. And for whatever reason, because there's also some references, it sounds like to a famous music venue closing. And so I'm trying to look all these things up to put these references in order. And for, for whatever reason, April 14th is right there in the CBGB Wikipedia page. And it doesn't really, it just says that television played their third show. And in the audience was Patti Smith and Lenny <laughs> Kay. And and uh, Deborah Harry and Joey Ramone and so it's like so it it felt like you know this point and then mentioning that she was a punk rock uh, drummer it's mm-hmm. like that day when these people realized that they were because the Patty Smith group hasn't hadn't formed yet Blondie hadn't formed yet the Ramones I think were still you know, high school kids in Queens or whatever so they it's this day when they know what they're gonna do. Mm. And it all happens the next day, but this is the day when they realize what's going to happen or what their future is. So it just that in when you can do that. And like I say, as a lyricist, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the last song on here, I could, I could, I think we could do a whole episode just about trying to decipher it, but this had a lot of, there was a lot more in this than, than you might normally feel. And the music is real subtle and it lets her voice be the main instrument. That's it's almost acapella kind mm-hmm. of in a way where it's very, it's very far back and she's, she's the focal point of the whole thing. Mm. So, so you missed one of the April 14th references, apparently black Sunday, which was the worst dust bowl storm <laughs> ever. Yeah. I, in the, in, in Oklahoma. And was I could I, yeah. And I, I could not, I, the Oki reference comes in in the, uh, in the part two also. And yeah. I looked, I looked, I thought the, the bombing, uh, the Oklahoma city bombing was, it actually happened on the 19th. So I thought maybe, oh. maybe, you know, something happened in, 
in the planning of it that, you know, I just, I couldn't find the specific reference. Um, so it's nice to know that, but yeah, there's a, and I couldn't find anything on any, cause there's a, the, towards the end that where she, they're cleaning up and it says we swept up the fags and the local mags and, you know, and then it's references staggers and jags. That's all made it feel like a British, like some famous British music venue closing. I couldn't find mm-hmm. when the marquee club closed. I tried to find it cause it, it has a, it has all these references. And like I say, from what I could tell, most of the things happened to act, the big events happened on the 15th. So this felt like this is about when you know, when you know what you're going to do, when you know what the future holds, at least for you. Interesting. And Skylar's just sitting back going, man, you guys are music nerds. <laughs> Listen to you guys. Prattle. No, this is, I, I mean, I used to um, cover this song a lot. There's probably some like really terrible videos of me as a really young person singing this song, but yeah, I think all those, it's funny. I never thought about the, cause I think they, it, that it hit the iceberg on the 14th and I think Lincoln was shot on the 14th and then maybe like the, he was shot on the 12th. He was shot on the 12th and he died on the 15th. Uh, medicine wasn't as solid as it is. And yeah, I think, <laughs> and it hit the iceberg on the 14th and then sank on the 15th. Yeah. I I wonder, there's a few, I know that she's given a few interviews about this song and the specificity of that day. Um, but to me, I feel like the, um, the part that I always loved about this is the, she puts, she has all those references about Ruination Day. And then she's also singing about, she's just like very, blatantly singing about what it's like to be in a band. That's what I've always loved about. Like this song is also a big part of the record to me in that she's like, I I'm playing a five band bill for $2. No one's coming. The local press isn't coming. We're not going to make enough money to put gas in the car. We're not going to make enough money. I mean, this is what it's like to be a musician. Like she just like lays it out there that, uh, sort of the futility of the financial situation of being a musician. And she um, she kind of lines it up there with these uh, great tragedies, which I don't think she's equating it with these like great American tragedies. But I think she's what she's doing is she's like putting her personal experiences inside of this folk song against which is, which is all a musician can, you know, really do. It definitely seems to be the work that she is doing through her music. And um, it's not even glamorizing it. It's kind of just like talking about the reality of what it is in the same way that Red Clay Halo is talking about how like there's this guy who, or whoever who like, can't afford a clean like doesn't have shoes and like can't afford to like have a new pair of like clothes to go to the dance but in this way where these people are like doing this endeavor which is essentially life they're living their lives they're making music they're trying to make a living they're just trying to make a living like in this world and um and they're sort of a part of these larger things that are going on that are completely outside of their control. 
and it's kind of, I don't know, this song is like a crazy magical portal to me. Like, I don't know what, what even there is about it, but it's so beautiful to me. And I, yeah, I could go on and on, but. So you're a music nerd like us too. All right. I am. I am. You're in good company. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so, so you guys helped me with the, the, the one lyrics of ruination day and the sky was red. I went back to work and back to bed. I find that that's kind of an interesting set of lyrics against one another is her. She says, I went back to work and back to bed. So I, it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I don't know. Back to, I mean, in that day, cause the way I can say to piggyback off what Skylar said, I think those big events like the Titanic and Lincoln are to put it in context, because this feels like the day she decided she was going to be in a band, you know, that line about, yeah. I wish that I played in a rock and roll band. So while those are, those are big events to those people that were involved in them, you know, president Lincoln or the people on the boat, it was a, obviously a big <laughs> deal. So, and it's that big of a deal to her the day she decided, you know, the day she realized that this is what she wanted to do with her life. And then, mm. you know, I don't know if, about the sky being red, but she still, before that happened, she had to go to work and she had to go to sleep just like everybody else. But, but yeah. like I say, that's why I think those events are there is to show how important this, this realization was to her. Okay. Should we get some scores? Have we have we gone on and on enough about this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just part one, so I know um, we still yeah. have part two to talk about here in a moment. <laughs> so Wayne, your score? Uh, eight. And then Skylar? Six. And this is my three, which leads us to I wanna sing that rock and roll. Either of you uh, find it interesting that that's the name of this song, considering if you're going to sing about wanting to sing that rock and roll, maybe the song should be less acoustic, less bluegrass, and actually be rock and roll? Well, I think that's what's great ah, about it. That's too textbook. That's too easy. Too easy? Yeah. All right. I think she's using rock and roll as a euphemism. I think rock and roll just, I think she's using that to mean play music. Yeah. If that makes sense, I think. I I could see I could see that. And she's also I I find interesting with the lyrics themselves that if you look at uh lyrics that's online, there's a lot of 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 words that are shortened. So instead mm. of saying electrify, it's electrify and drowning instead of drowning. Um, and that seems Cause, to be because of, instead of because exactly. Um, so I, I find that that's 
that's interesting that uh, she would use those those particular type of words or the I've been a traveling near and far. That seems like a rock and roll type of or even more of a bluesy type of of lyric. So anyways, what else we got on this, Wayne? Oh, you know, and I and this that's this is why our scoring is so difficult also, because I love this song and I, I it, the guitar rhythm and the vocals have a they have a real like Carter family bluegrass country feel to them. But yet, you know, you start invoking rock and roll. And I guess in a way that kind of pulls it all together in a way like what is rock and roll? I mean, if you go back to there was a time when when even the, the you know, folk music was probably you know, rebellious. And I mean, if everybody's used to, you know, piano concertos and, and, and now all of a sudden these guys are playing, you know, washed up basses and fiddles. And that's like, what the hell it's, it's at what, at at what point, you know, did rock and roll really that, that alternative music, that, that thing that makes your parents mad. When did it really start? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. It's kind of actually, this makes me think about the, you know, in 13 where they're like, rock and roll is here to stay. It's like, I think it's that, that same thing where it's sort of this definition of rock and roll is that thing that makes your parents mad. (laughs) But it's also that thing that, uh, it's that electric thing essentially, because she talks about that electrify my soul or that's, it's, it's something transgressive, but uh, that's like not as specific as instrumentation necessarily, but more about like attitude. Yeah, totally see that. All right, this is my five. Wayne, your score? I begrudgingly give it a four, and I think it's because I I have this thing about consistency, and this is a live track, which I'm assuming that it's live because that's the the you know it captures the you know the the feel and meaning of the song better than it probably did in the studio, but. I guess I'm just being stubborn. So I gave it a four. <laughs> and then Skylar. I gave it a two, but not, but I still love it. I still think it's great. I love that they chose to put a live one on there. I think it's like, if it was going to be a live one, I think I like that it's this one. It's kind of one of the more up-tempo numbers, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Next song is Elvis Presley Blues. All right, I have to fully tell on myself. So anyone else have a case of misheard lyrics with this song? Oh, what'd you miss here? I don't know. So the the first three times I listened to this album, I kept hearing her sing the night about Elvis, did he die, instead of the day that he died. 
Mm. So I, so, so that took me down a whole path and until I actually looked at the lyrics, because I thought maybe this was a song about how Elvis faked his death and he might still be. Oh my God. That's so funny. I've heard recently, recently heard those rumors, which is hilarious to me. He has a twin, right? Or something. <laughs> something like that. I, you know, and he, he was born in what? 30, 1935 or something like that. So there's very marginal chances that he is still alive, even if he did fake his death, but you know, <laughs> right, right. 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 All right. What do you guys have to say about this song? Uh, well, one thing is this to me that it really struck me is that the amount of sound that the, they, the two of them can create just by themselves with, you know, with at best two guitars and two people singing, they create so much, sound and this one has a very full sound and then her voice again is is the highlight of it and this is this is the most poignant tribute to elvis i've ever heard like this is you know from the this poor boy in mississippi who didn't you know who gets up on stage and then completely transforms the world to you know this guy that uh is you know, at the end of his career, you know, just before he dies. But I think it goes through this, all of these things that he did. And then tragically, you know, as he's declining, it even mentions that he's that the decline somewhere in it. And then she re then she brings it back and they redo the first verse to kind of bring this full circle to, to almost, you know, say, you know, like we, this is what we remember is this guy, mm. you know? And I, I thought it was a great, uh, I loved how she even used that, uh, bless my soul lyric from, mm-hmm. uh, all shook up to really drive it home. But there is one line that I've, I have to mention because it's so, it's a little, it's a little bit weird, but he grabbed his wand in the other hand and he held on tight. I'm like, I don't exactly know what she's trying to say. I don't know if that's the actually, is that actually the lyric? I, I got it off Google. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say I didn't read it. It's not in the CD booklet, but I just thought that was like odd. Like he was a very sexual presence, but I don't know if we need to. I don't, I don't think know that those that. are the lyrics. I, I, I'd have to go back and listen to that line more closely, but I don't, I don't think that's right. I'm glad I'm not the Just only one who there. had a misheard lyric. So that's great. <laughs> I, I I read it. I I'm pretty sure that's what it said, but but also I was reading it from as I was listening to it when I was breaking it down the last right. time. Right. So of course, of course. You hear what you want. You you're going to your your mind's going <laughs> to it's going to hear what it thinks it's 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 supposed to. You heard some weird things in a previous re- song, so we'll just leave it. <laughs> we'll just leave it. That's true. Um the one lyric that I found interesting, you, you know, Wayne, you mentioned that, uh, you know, she, she references, uh, some Elvis lyrics, but when he, when she says he shook it like a midnight rambler, baby, why not do more Elvis references instead of like my immediate, my immediate reaction to midnight rambler is I'm looking at the stones. That's a stone song. Yeah, to me that seems right in line though, because she's got she's talking about Steve Miller, she's talking about Elvis, she's talking <laughs> okay. about she's quoting she quotes, uh, you know, she's talking about rock and roll in general. And there's I'm not even going to get all the references, but in that way that folk music does, where you're constantly referencing uh, themes and words from other songs, it's like she does that for rock and roll, but through this 
specific genre that she's doing. And so in that way, I feel like I, I could hear you saying where you're like, you could go more with Elvis, but I think it's because it's less about Elvis specifically and more about what he represented. Gotcha. No, I like that. All right. Let's move on. And I let's get some- well. The only other thing. <laughs> Go ahead. The only other thing I wanted to talk about too is the John Henry lyric. Yeah. Which um, yeah. I don't know if you all are um, Songs Ohio fans or Magnolia Electric Company fans, or have done any of those records on this show. We have but, not yet. Nope. Um, there's a you know Jason Molina, and of course John Henry. A lot of people reference John Henry in folk music and yeah. beyond. Um, but there's John Henry split this heart. There's that song on the, um, on the songs, Ohio Magnolia electric company record, which I think of that record actually, as it reminds me of this record in that I feel like it's musicians reckoning with their art form and what, why it is that they're doing what they're doing. And in this Mm -hmm. song, I feel like she's talking about, you know, the whole concept of John Henry, of course, is that he's using this method of being that kind of is no longer making any sense in the modern world. And it's almost a fight against the modern world in this way. And I feel like those are reckonings that she's doing throughout the entire record that it sort of doesn't make sense to do the things that she's doing. It doesn't make sense to play music. It doesn't make sense to um, be an artist in this way. And, and she's thinking, she's just sort of like musing about that and musing about Elvis, the soul at stake stuff. I feel like is important there too. Yeah. And all the talk that you guys have said about this song, I feel like um, we could have this same conversation with the following song as well, right? So there's absolutely total total theme thing going on here. So, um, all right. So scores for this song, and then we'll we'll continue this conversation for the next one. So, Skylar, your <laughs> your score five. Wayne seven. And I'm matching your seven. So next song is Ruination Day Part Two. Do we find it weird that she doesn't just call it April the 14th part two? Mm. Interesting. No, I think I, yeah, I think she could have, but this, I get this, this is more interesting. Okay. I like the, I definitely like the way they, they broke it up. Like part two is not directly after part one. They put some other things in between it to kind of, I don't know, almost like to make you wait for that. For the the grand finale, I guess. Yeah, but she finishes April the 14th with took a bullet in the back of the head and the lyrics pretty, pretty close to the beginning of this song is also talking about took a bullet in the head, in the head. 
Yeah, yeah. She, she, the way she finished, she starts this one the way she, with, um, with the exact words she finished the other one with. Yeah. And, and I feel like we all, we've already talked about the theme for the previous song. Unless you guys have anything else to say on this song, we can just get some scores. Unless you want to dissect a little bit more. No, just in that it's sort of like a, a meditation on a theme, like you would, uh, in in jazz music yeah going back to your alice coltrane reference there you go <laughs> mm-hmm. all right so scores on this this is my two but i think that it's way more important as a kind of a transition song um mm-hmm. so wayne yeah and i gave it a three which uh, didn't feel right but it's and it, it's darker and it, it doesn't it just kind of closes the book on that that the other, the first part, yeah. part one. Yeah. Yeah. I gave it a four. Okay. Next song is everything is free. I'm working for. Everything is free. That's what they say. Everything I ever done. Gotta give it away Someone hit the big score They figured it out That we're gonna do it anyway Even if it doesn't pay And Wayne, you, uh you like this song a little bit more than Skylar and I do. Oh, you know what I, I do on so many levels. Uh, well, obviously, I it just creates this. Uh, it just has a great theme. Like I and I, uh, I used to download things off the internet for free. Ooh. This song actually creates shame. Like I'm not gonna, oh. I'm not gonna delete them and buy them. But <laughs> I. I I does make me realize because the, the, the very, the, the heartbreaking line is they're going to do it anyway, even if it doesn't pay. So Uh, they're going to make this music and that's who they are. That's, Mm. they can't, they can't help themselves. And so it makes me feel like a total shit bag for just (laughs) taking it for free. (laughs) And it was 2001. I I wasn't, I, I didn't care at the time. But it did create that. I mean, but it's a great it's a great song in and of itself. The I, I love the music, but the way she captures this this mm. feeling, and then because it kind of goes through different ranges of emotions. The 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 verse where she says, you know, but I don't need to run around. I just stay home and sing a little love song, my lover, myself. If there's something that you want to hear, you can sing it yourself. So Oof. I mean, there's there's this bitterness <laughs> into it, you know, because. She's not. She's got to. She's got to go down to the bar and play for tips because her her, you know this this music's getting taken for free. And like I say, there were no streaming services at the time. But from what I understand, all you're getting is a is is two almond milk lattes every month off of this. So it's not like it's going any better. But <laughs> I made me it just. It, I love the song. I love the way she she goes through this and has all this range of emotions. And and it did also it created shame. In me. Yeah, Skylar, we keep oh. we keep bringing up the uh, almond lattes uh, with Spotify because that's what <laughs> Caroline Spence um, said about her uh, her money that she made. Spotify. Yeah, her Spotify money was Ooh, enough yeah, to, it's to true. yeah. 
So, and I'm, 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 yep. I'm guilty of that. I mean, I, I use Spotify on a regular basis, but I, I, I do, I do buy records. I, you know, um, but yeah, the more I he- talk about other musicians and about how, you know, they're trying to make it, gosh, I just, I, f- I feel bad even having Spotify it you know knowing knowing mm. that uh even though i'm listening and i'm encouraging people to go support the arts and go to a live show and buy a t-shirt of the band um mm. i wonder if that's enough mm. well i mean i read a lot of Brene brown so i don't think shame is anything that anybody should make themselves feel <laughs> <laughs> but um i think that uh I feel like I don't know where, you know, what was necessarily happening when she was writing this song. And definitely in the past 20 years, things have gotten uh, even worse in terms of making money from music digitally. But um, I feel like more of what she's getting at here are the rest of the things that she's getting out in the entire record, which is it's sort of a way of life it's sort of an old way of life that is not necessarily profitable. And I hesitate to use that word in this same way that it is. It's a changing time. We're in a changing time. I mean, what she's really doing is she's reckoning with the internet. That's like literally what she's Mm -hmm. doing, which is wild. She's doing it and she doesn't mention it once, you know, she doesn't say anything about computer or da 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 da, but that's what she's talking about. Oh, we and, all know. But we all know. Yeah, we all know. We all know, yeah. and we all know that she's. But that's that is incredible work as a songwriter to be able to put make that. She's bringing this moral question in this way, definitely this political question about labor, and just about survival. She's bringing this survival question into the greater portrait of folk music, like as a whole genre, she's like bringing that into the conversation in a way that's not at all like corny. It's not corny at all. Like you could make this song and be like, I'm not getting paid anything from the internet. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to ever have the same emotional effect as this this song that she wrote and the other thing that i want to say about it is that the um it when i think of it and i've listened to this record so many times so i i'm sure that i put a lot on it that uh i don't know if that's what it's supposed to be or not but when she sings and sing a little love song and then dave rawlings answers her back with the guitar melody right after that which is like a beautiful moment um, but I always think that that love song is dear someone. I think that since that song is so different from the rest of the songs on the album to me, I think of that song as the song that they would be singing otherwise, but they're not singing that song because they have to sing these other deeper songs about, um, about what it means to be who they are in this day and in this age. Um, and so I like thinking of dear someone is that in this way. Um, 
just as a, just cause I feel like everything is very purposeful with this record, but I don't know if it's supposed to be, but I like thinking of it that way. I think it absolutely is. Now I feel bad for my score for dear someone. I know bring it. They all get a 10, all tens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, you know, going back to the conversation that I had about double meanings and songs, do you, do you feel like, it's not just about everybody's taking my music for free, but also that she's kind of a slave to her art. And so she's not really free in that sense because Mm. she feels like it's who I am. And if I don't have that creative outlet, I'm not going to be free anyway. Well, she's, if if you go back to the Quicksilver girl that she is saying that she is free. She's saying, I, that the art is definitely what makes her free. And, um, but yeah, in terms of, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. It seems less like she's has to be a in service. Well, yeah, she is in service to the art I feel like, but that it doesn't seem like a, um, it doesn't seem like it's weighing her down. It seems liberatory, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Whew, we could talk a lot, a long time about <laughs> this seems, song as well. Yeah, I Man, know it's heavy. I think I think that it seems like the um, the making of the art is liberatory, and then it's sort of these the part of the parts that go along with it that are are not liberatory. Yeah. All right, let's get some scores, Skylar. Uh, this is my. This is my eight. Uh, this is my 10. I can say I, I loved it. And I think one of the things I love most about it is I listened to it probably two or three times and I, I didn't really, it wasn't until I read the lyrics that I, I really realized exactly, you know, exactly what she was talking about. So it, it's a serious subject that's got to be important, you know, to, to a struggling musician as it is, but she didn't, she did it in a way that didn't really beat you over the head. Like, I mean, the shame, the shame part came completely on me. If I, I mean, she didn't, she it didn't have anything to do with her. She had, she, she put this out in a very, uh, you know, she has this great melancholy in her voice, but then these biting lyrics toward the end. So, but it's a very, she's true to herself and, and she just sings the song. And uh, I, I created the shame on my, yeah. my own by my actions in 2001. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I now feel a little shame because I listened to this song on Spotify. So <laughs> I, I pay for uh, Amazon. So I'm hoping that she, she's getting her cut from that. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I pay for Spotify, yeah, I, but uh, you know, that's still, I'm, I'm assuming that between the two of us, we probably listened to the song, what, like 15 times over the last week. That probably equated to maybe one fifteenth of a of a cent. <laughs> so, well, I'd like to believe it. It, it did more than that. Well, if nothing else, um, it made a Gillian Welch fan out of me. Um, yeah, so. and you got to go see her live too. They're fantastic. Oh, I will absolutely do that. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't. I don't think people should feel shame for using uh, things that. I mean, we all, everybody would like to get paid, you know, but I don't think, um, I, I absolutely use Spotify. I use all of those things. It's more of just like a, you know, it's kind of the landscape of the world we live in now. And we're just figuring out how to, how to move forward in it. So I don't need to call my therapist after this episode comes out. <laughs> what the thing. 
Thank you. Thank you, Skylar. I appreciate and I do think, that. I'm glad you're talking about it though, because I do think some people don't, don't know that the situation of that. But. Yeah. All right. This is my six. All right. Let's wrap this up. This is last song. I dream a highway. And go back to my original comment for first song of uh, I didn't realize that this was a six and 23 second song. How about 14 (laughs) minutes and 40 seconds long for this song? Yeah. If you're following along in Spotify, yes, you read right. 14 minutes and 40 seconds long. And this is not one of those final tracks that, you know, is super long because at the end of the song, there's a hidden track. (laughs) No, this song is really nearly 15 minutes long. And honestly, it's probably just like two minutes too long for me, but doesn't change the fact that this song kicks ass. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so good. I do have to ask you guys, because I get the Johnny Cash reference about Johnny's kicking out the footlights and the Grand Old Opry, but when she talks about the and thank the hatchet man who forked my tongue what who who is that is it or is that just a metaphor yeah i don't know if they're just they could just be brilliant lyrics i always when i hear memphis i i think of elvis but um but i i there's just so this thing is so lyrically this song is so amazing like there are all these great references to i mean jack of diamonds that's clearly a bob dylan because there's also uh fire riding wheeling like you know, freewheeling Bob Dylan. So there's Bob Dylan references. She absolutely yeah. uh, calls out Emmy Lou Harris and Graham Parsons. Uh, but some of these are just like, I'll take the, I'll take you as a viper into my head, a mm. knife into my bed, arsenic when I'm fed. Like she just, there's just, it's just full of so many brilliant lyrics that create all kinds of, you know, visceral images. But unlike you, after, well, it was about this is about a seven minute song because after that the 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 lyrics start to not be as as interesting and it could just be because it's now we're rolling into the eighth minute and that's mm-hmm. a long time it I just I don't know if musically it carried itself it could carry itself that that long okay well let me ask you this at what point during the song do the lyrics of sunday morning at the diner hollywood trembles on the verge of tears etc at what point does that come in toward is that around the eight minute yeah that's around because the lazarus part is where i've already i've already asked myself why is this song still on um (laughs) not in a bad way because like i say the thing that's bad about it is it's so lyrically this this first part of it is just awesome i mean it's even i mean when you read it you're just like oh my god these are amazing but when you're listening to it there is definitely a point where i was like 
is this still on? I mean, <laughs> how long has this been going on? But it, it's a perfect, it's a great last track. I just, because it has this kind of end of the road, kind of bringing everything together, uh, you know, leaving it all on the stage kind of, of, of a feel. But I just feel like they should have started to fade out at about seven minutes. Mm, you gotta you gotta be driving down a highway at three in the morning <laughs> with nothing to do except for this song to listen to because I think that's what it's made for. It, where it's sort of this trance where you zone in and out of what's actually what she's even saying. I mean, what what will sustain us through the winter? Where did last year's lessons go? Is like that's a that's an incredible line to me and actually I didn't um before for a long time when I listened to this record I thought she sang a winding river with a band of gold probably for like the first like five years I listened to this record I thought she said a winding river with a band of gold um which is neither here nor there but then once I knew that it was ridden I was like, oh man, a whole other different image I get to live with now. Um, but I, I think this song is like trance music. Also, similar. I mean, returning again to Alice Coltrane, where um, it's it's just sort of putting you in this this loop um, in the way that like driving a highway does, or like a dream does. Um, it's kind of this song that's not really made for 2020 in a way that a lot of their songs aren't really technically made for 2020. It's not a, it's not like a sound bite. It's not the chords are repetitive. The guitar solos are beautiful, but they're not like necessarily taking you anywhere. You're just kind of along for the ride. Um, and um, I don't know why, but it's just, it's, it's a magical, magical song to me. She's just dealing in these, in the way that time, the Revel that the revelator sets you up for the whole record. This one is sort of like, this is the end. Like there's nowhere else it could really go except for into this long journey into these beautiful beautiful lyrics and um I don't know I just think it's I think it's a masterpiece in the way that some songs just exist and they don't they don't follow any of the rules and they still still emotionally take me to a place that other other songs don't take me going back to your comment about uh, you need to listen to this on the highway at 3 a.m. Wayne's in bed by like 9. <laughs> night, so. <laughs> so, so that would be why he's pooping on this. It's a valid criticism. But. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it, Wayne. I, I, I get, you know, I, I even said in my criticism that I feel like this is, probably two two and a half minutes too long for me but i'm giving it my top score just because i feel like it wraps everything up for this record really nicely and again um i'm just i'm in awe mm. that she 
she keeps my attention for that long. Because I'm look, I'm I'm one of these guys that give me a three minute song. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. But um I can I can take these marathon songs if you're gonna hook me in with great melodies and um fantastic lyrics and she, she got me. Yeah. So this is this is so this is my ten. So Yeah, me too. It's my ten as well. And then Wayne. I gave it a six. It I, I and I do love it. And like I say, I think if this was a seven minute song, uh, it it would it might possibly be it would at least be eight, if not nine. I really liked everything. Everything is free, but uh, it. I think one thing that it to give it some credit for it. There's, I mean, when you have three and a three and a half minute song, there's no time to find out. The, the the weak spots there's it's just <laughs> it's over and done and it's gone and when you have a song this is a definitely ride off into the sunset kind of a song and but when you if you're brave enough to go 14 minutes people are going to see it's not all it can't all be vipers and arsenic and bob dylan references it's it's gonna <laughs> have it's gonna show it's it's gonna show its weaknesses which is i mean if we're looking at you know this as a body of work that's part of, you know, that's humanity. There's there's weak spots. We all got weak spots. Okay, I know we need to wrap this up, but I'm really intrigued to know who you think the I dream a highway back to you. Who is you? Um, oh. yeah, great great question. I don't know. Um, that's the great unknown on this record of of is it her art? Mm. I don't know what, uh, what's your interpretation of that? I don't. Yeah. I, I'm just intrigued to hear what people think because I remember telling this to a friend of mine and they, we were talking about how much we love this song and they were saying how they had started listening to the song and thinking about dreaming a highway back to themselves as opposed to, I think maybe when we had been listening to it, when we were younger thinking about it as like, a lover or something like that, but dream a highway back to a version of themselves. Um, but there's so many people it could be, there's so many things it could be. It could be America. It could be your art. It could be survival. It could be. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Speaking of double meanings, it's like quadruple meanings of what it could be. I can tell you who it's not. It's the ma- manipulative surfer jerk who plays Quicksilver Girl. Yeah, it's not it's her not first him. lover. <laughs> no, it's not him. It's not him. No, I, I think you're, but like I say, to touch on that, I think it's, I mean, almost if you look at the theme of, of what we've talked about on some of the other songs, it's back to that that you that loves, you know, that music and why you do this. It's just, yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. it's a back to yourself. It's back to remembering why. That's what, like, say, all of the musical references in it. It's it's getting, you know, when you get further away from what what you meant when you started it, and now she's mm. she's trying she's driving back, trying to get back to what made her want to do this and what made her, you know, this what made it that this thing that she couldn't not do. Yeah. 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 All right. Did we cover everything? Did we miss anything on this record? No, it's a masterpiece. It's so good. It's so good. I love it. Let's uh let's take a look at our top songs. Let's uh let's get our top five out of here. Number one record based off a cumulative score. 
What do you guys think it is? And everybody got a nine for time, the Revelator, right? Yeah. Yeah, that the Revelator would be number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Dream of Highways uh, are second with an 8.66. Mm-hmm. And that was because of Wayne. Um, <laughs> I'll point fingers now. <laughs> no, no, no. I just did. Uh, Everything is free. That is our third, followed by Elvis Presley Blues, which was our fourth. And uh, April the 14th, part one. That's uh, That rounds out our top five. And that was... Probably should have been higher, but I gave it a three. So, sorry, guys. <laughs> Terrible. Um, either way, it's in our top five. So, all good. All good. All right. Well, this has been oh, fun. This has been a pleasure. Skyler? Yeah, thanks so much for letting me go on and on about one of my favorite records. Oh, thank you for introducing us to it. Yeah, you're in perfect company of going on and on about <laughs> lyrics. <and stuff>. So, <laughs> kind of what we do. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So, so Skylar, tell everybody where they can find the happenings of of you. You can find me on Spotify and uh, <laughs> on on my Instagram, which is just my name, Skylar Gudas, S K Y L A R G U D A S Z. Um, and I will have new music out this April. Fantastic! All right, last question. And we lift this question from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando who does the Scotch and Good Conversation podcast. So he asks everyone who visits, who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records with us? Oh, my God. It's a great question. Um, do you know Nathan Bowles? I do not. Nathan Bowles is a fantastic musician who lives here in the Triangle. Um I think he is a trio. Um, he's played with a bunch of different bands, but banjo player, drummer, um, writer, fantastic musician. Okay. Awesome. Let's uh, let's get the introduction and uh, let's make that happen. We'd love yeah. to talk to Nathan. Yeah. All right. So as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited podcast. We're on Instagram as well, on Twitter, at Podcast Records. You can find us on all the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. Yeah, we're on Spotify as well. So you can find us there. <laughs> Not making a damn cent off of Spotify, though. Hey, I can tell you we that. Do this for love. Love of the art. We do it for love. We do it for love. We actually, we do it for um, a G love concert tickets. That's <laughs> kind of what we do it for. So there you go. Um, all right. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts, go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store and not just on record store day. We are records revisited and we are out, out, out. <laughs>